you should no longer conform your health and your family to your work, to your business. It's about defining what your health and well-being looks like for you and conforming your business to that and get over the ego and get over what culture tells you you need to have. The more you align with that, the more you'll actually scale. What would you do all over again and why? I'm Natalie Carpenter, women's health and fertility advocate, dot connector, and former corporate brand warrior. Each week, join me in candid conversation with an inspiring public figure who boldly shares their real-life stories of adversity, impact, and what they did next, and if they would do it all over again, knowing what they know now. Welcome to the All Over Again podcast. Claudia Chan is a motivational coach, advisor, and speaker, helping individuals and companies build success on authenticity and wholeness through a method called whole self-based coaching and leadership. In her 24-year entrepreneurial career, Claudia's programs have impacted over 1 million by igniting corporate and entrepreneurial changemakers to solve social issues in their community. She is the New York Times celebrated author of This Is How We Rise, founder of the award-winning She Summit Conference, champion of innovation at the UN Women, a speaker with the U.S. State Department, and advisor to her She Global network of 600 thought leaders and corporate clients, including ESPN, Morgan Stanley, and Bacardi. Due to today's mental health and burnout crisis, Claudia has also launched a coaching practice and membership called Inner Circle, which gives people affordable access to her one-on-one coaching. Claudia shared that if she had the chance to do life all over again, she would see every life challenge and trigger as a gift and would have found God earlier. Hello, Claudia. Welcome to All Over Again podcast. It is so good to see you, my friend. It is so good to see you. It's not enough. I need you back on the East Coast to be able to see you more. In many ways, though, with COVID, right? I mean, we were all physically separated, and in a way, it sort of has forced us to stay in touch through spirit and energy and digital formats. And I'm really proud of us. I'm proud of us that we've stayed so close through all the phases and seasons of of life. Of everything. And we've known each other for quite some time. I was actually thinking about that. We've known each other since I first saw you at the She Summit. So I knew of you before you knew of me. I was at Audi and I remember I had this aha moment. I was going through fertility challenges and all these different things in a corporate space. I felt very alone. I remember thinking I had to show up this one way in my corporate environment, and then I had to show up a different way socially and personally, right? And then in my own skin, I was falling apart. So I remember some words that you shared which I was going to ask you about this, so I might as well jump in now. But I remember you shared that things happen for you, not to you. And I think that was that pivotal moment where I thought, okay, okay, so what can I do to make this really tough sort of mountain feel a little bit easier to climb? And that's sort of when I started thinking like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start building a community because I can't be the only one out there that's having these struggles with women's health and fertility. And so that's when it all began. I started a blog. I reached out to you and I said, Claudia, can I talk to you? 
And you said, yes. And then I was just so taken by how amazing you are that I remember we met and I said, I want to get Audi involved with with sponsoring the She Summit. And the rest is sort of history, right? Yeah. And it's amazing how how when you live this life, this precious life that we have, how there are moments and a quote or a phrase or a person that can come into your life and the impact, right? That one phrase can make such a deep shift in a person's life. That's really at the the underlying passion and soul of my work and why I'm so passionate about what I do is the power of humanity and people and that we all live this external world of like, here, this is my name, this is my title, this is what I do for a living, this is where I live. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have a child or I don't and these external definitions, but internally, there's a whole other world that people are living through and experiencing. And how do I create support for individuals that will help them unlock what is inside. Exactly. And and the both of us have been together through various iterations. I mean, I hopped on the Claudia Chan wagon a little bit later, right? I wasn't there during your Shecky's days, but I did kind of see this evolution between the She Summit, She Global, and now Inner Circle, which I want to talk all about. I have so much to talk to you about. But first, before we dive into that, I would love for our listeners to learn more about you because I know a fair amount about you because you are such an open book and I so appreciate that about you. How would you describe yourself to the world in three adjectives? Which is probably, by the way, one of the hardest things to do (laughs) at 48 years old, all the things that you've created and done. And I think why wholeness too, right, is is so much at the, that word is so rooted at my, in my current work. God, three adjectives were just words, humanity, spirit, wholeness. (laughs) But I can, I can share the story though. I can share my story if that's helpful. I would love to, because one of the things I do want to touch on was how being the daughter, the child of Chinese immigrants has really shaped who you are in so many ways because we've talked about that. So tell the story, but please keep that as part of your story if you don't mind. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in New York City and had that typical you know, New York experience growing up. And my parents are Chinese immigrants, like first generation. And so my brother and I were born here in the States. And somehow over, and I'll I'll come back to the sort of Chinese family of origin and all of that. But essentially, I was always very social. And I was really always good with people and understanding people. And somehow I had gone to an all-girls school, high school, all-girls was called Hewitt on the Upper East Side. And then I went to Smith College in Massachusetts. So I had this like Northeast upbringing and I ended up being really pulled into the women's space, the women's content and media platform space for really over 20 years as an entrepreneur. So I'm celebrating 24 years of entrepreneurship today at 48. So I started when I was 24, so exactly like halfway through my life. And yeah, I've really had this consistent theme of creating platforms that drive community and connection and really predominantly in the women's space. 
And the first 10 years, I would say from like 25 to 35 years old, it was the era of the 2000s. You know, Sex in the City was really big. Devil Wears Prada, you know, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Charlie's Angels. I mean, everything. And, and you know, as a Gen Xer in my 20s and 30s, it was all about the value of women was so placed on the brands that we wore and the restaurants we ate at. Like if you made it to the big city, it's, you know, the, the coolest, latest emerging designers. And I'm looking back at culture, I'm like, okay, that 10 years was, I call it the, the fluff era, you know, for women and, and very women's lifestyle oriented. And so, you know, the dream that women had was the Carrie Bradshaw dream, like move to New York, have a cool job, marry like a rich guy and basically like eat at fabulous and have fabulous things. And it's so amazing. And I really became also just obsessed with culture and thinking about how much culture and generation and time shapes who we are and who we become. By the time I was 29 years old, it was already a multi-million dollar company. We sort of, we launched right after September 11th, 2001. And so it just really was the right place at the right time. And we worked with, you know, over hundreds of brands that would sponsor our girls' night out events. There were these girls' night out shopping parties. And, you know, it was like an $8 million business by the time I was like in my early 30s. I ran it from 25 to 35 years old. And then from there, eventually I met my husband, now husband John, who was this boy from Georgia. And he went to Auburn University, which is like the SEC, like football. Like I, I knew nothing about the Southern world. And so um, he took me to church, Trinity Church on the Upper East Side of New York City. And that's really where I felt like I had reached this material success. Like I was going on TV all the time. I was an expert. I was a multi-million dollar like female entrepreneur. I was advising, doing mentorship lunches with the founders of Brent the Runway, Birchbox, like all of them, right? Who are now like, you know, so huge. But there were babies when I met them. But I, I felt like I lacked purpose. And I also increasingly had a more had a toxic business partnership with my business partner at the time. But I was really just all of my identity and sense of success was so tied to earning and hitting numbers and being a big deal and building this huge platform. Like so much of what the materialistic and superficial definitions of success. But I really, my character, you know, behind the red carpet, like behind the screen, I really was very underdeveloped as a leader, as a person of character, because I was a baby, you know, I grew up running this business and I knew how to hustle and I knew how to like monetize and grow a company, but I, I, I hadn't, I really hadn't developed personal development and leadership skills. And when I went to church, that's really when I realized I was just living my life in the world versus leading my life for the world. And that was really my first, my major shift that took me into creating an empowerment, like moving from a lifestyle entertainment company to a leadership and empowerment company, where then I would devote the next 10 years to serving. I'm going to pause there for a second because I know my story can go on forever. <laughs> no, and I love your story and you're answering questions that I had for you, which is great. So before we jump into my next set of questions, I'd love to know from you, how did growing up as a first-generation American impact who you are today? In so many ways, and, and my therapy has taught me this powerful term called the family of origin. And I think as we think about 8 billion people on the planet and the work that I do in personal growth, coaching, therapy, <laughs> leadership work is that every human being, we're born into a family of origin, you know, where the culture 
like I'm Chinese American. I know you are part French, part, what was the other one? Polish. First generation too. That's right. And so, you know, the, like how our parents grew up, the messaging, the conditioning, the indoctrination, right? It's like they grow up with a story. They grow up with with their um, values and how they want to protect us or how they want to love us. And so we really are grown up in this messaging. And so, and they all just know our parents knew how to do the best they could in their generation. And it's, you know, we all just sort of try to do the best that we can. So I think my immigrant story will relate to many others in the sense that my parents were born in China and right before the Mao, when Mao took over China and it became anti-intellectualism and anti, it became a very communist socialist place. And so they fled to Taiwan, but they were born into aristocracy, but they lost everything. And so when they came to America, my dad came over in the sixties, my mom came over in the seventies and I was born in 1975. It was very much around survival survival. We are Chinese. We have broken English. We don't have college educations, but we got here. And how do you make the best of being in America? And my dad, his whole goal was just to study and go back, but he basically ended up bartending on Wall Street, had a bunch of buddies that eventually invested in his first Chinese restaurant, Chi Lin. And really my dad was sort of the godfather of Chinese restaurants, like the American version of Chinese restaurants. And a lot of the, like David Kay and like a lot of the famous Chinese restaurateurs, like used to wait for my dad, <laughs> like growing up in the, you know, in the sixties and seventies, but they unconsciously, they were like, you know, you need to go to the best schools. We're going to not buy money, spend money on a 25 cent newspaper to like save money for you to go to private school, because we want to put you where the affluence is. We want to put you where on Park Avenue and go to the private school because you will become the company you keep and you will become like them. But what I realized is that they had like from an attachment, because like there's insecure attachment, security attachment, they loved me so much, which is why, and I think you and I are similar in this way, why we're so confident with who we are and we're social and we're, because we, I had so much love growing up, but there was a lot of unconscious fear instilled into me, which was everything was very much about money. But really, it was really about safety. Like, well, how much does that cost? And well, how much are you going to make doing that? And I think you need to, you know, you need to look better and prettier and you need to have a nose job because so that you can, in China, you have to have these like these amazing noses, right? A nose represents a lot, you know, in, in Chinese culture. And so uh, we need you to marry this type of person and a doctor or a hedge fund guy or a lawyer. And, and so it was very much, I was brought up with this confidence to create and be an entrepreneur, but it was also very much with this with this impending fear that a bear, that like the doom was on the other side. It's really interesting because they loved me and my brother so much. And I think when you're, when you're really seen and loved, you grow up with this confidence. And so I was always, then that, that confidence gave me the energy and the assertiveness to go out and create and do these impossible, build these impossible platforms. But at the same time, I had this unconscious impending fear that doom was on the other side if I didn't earn this amount or I didn't hit buy the real estate and, and, and add these titles to my name and exit companies. And it, it's so interesting too, because I think that for so many of us, like if you're an older millennial, if you're a Gen Xer, you know, you're brought up in a time where our parents grew up in a time where there was famine and there was war and there was colonization and there was so much trauma that our generations were brought up in so much scarcity and survival instinct. And so 
in a way, I feel it sends you on this journey of, I got to have more. I got to, I got to achieve achievement more, more. And then culture also tells you that, right? But in many ways, it's very unclear what is actually enough. Like what is actually complete? That's a lot of my work today is like, you know, is people are striving for this external identity and chronic when this happens, then I will be X, Y, Z. And yet it's really more about how do I arrive into what my definition of wholeness means, which is safety and joy and creativity and passion and purpose and all these things and and peace, because that's really ultimately what we want to experience. Of course, because so much of what we have experienced, right, and what we were brought up around was truly meant from the best place in our parents' heart, but also through the lens of their trauma. And so generational trauma feels very real. And as you are sharing your story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can relate to this. I can relate to that, right? And it's true. There's a lot of trauma, you know, having parents, my parents grew up separately in different places in the world where there was war. My mother grew up, they left Paris and they were in North Africa and in Algeria and there was the Franco-Algerian War, right? So my mom has that as a core memory. And then my father grew up in Poland where he was born during World War II. And as you can imagine, he had his own generational trauma to deal with as a result of living through that as a very young child, but also having a mother who was deeply impacted by the war. So it's true. It's like, it's fascinating. So when you think about your experiences and all that you've learned about yourself, about understanding your family and understanding your, did you call it your culture of origin? Family of origin. So by understanding your family of origin, do you feel like now, knowing what you know now and having done so much work to be able to then share this work with others, is there anything that you've had to unlearn that was critical? Absolutely. I spent, after really becoming a person of faith, I had the vision to create She Global. And it was for the last 10 years, So whereas the first 10 years, again, was more like women's lifestyle and entertainment, the last 10 years was women's leadership and empowerment. And so I I also started looking at gender and women and the status of women and girls in the world and how the lack of equity and equality. And and obviously that was my experience. Like God put me in this community of women and women are always also the first to be driven by cause and do something philanthropic or social, social issue driven. And the work that I'm in now for the next 10 years, and I can, you know, I'll share more about obviously created the She Summit conference, which has had so much impact. I mean, I think it's over a million people that I've impacted through the She Summit conference, through the 700 thought leaders that have been on my stage that I've advised to the book, This Is How We Rise, and just being a keynote speaker and coach uh, for so long. But really now, the next 10 years, I say, is really devoted to helping people get whole and and really doing this coaching work to help them heal and get to a place faster than it took me. And so what I'll say is I'll say this phrase to sort of give this conversation an umbrella, which is an ultimately, I guess this would be the flagship statement that I share with my community, which is that the goal in life is 
not to achieve this imaginary ideal. You know, when this happens, then I will da 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 da. Or like, yeah, I gotta like work for that raise, and I gotta like build a business, and I gotta like hit, I gotta have the baby, I gotta. It, it's such like just this, this endless, limitless ideal, which really, again, constantly puts us in this posture of striving, and it's not really clear. Again, like what exactly is is enough? So the goal in life is not to achieve this imaginary ideal that's really sort of unclear but instead to define and discover what wholeness means to you. And really what that means is that if you are at the end of your life and, you know, they're going to pull the plug soon or you're imagining your funeral, right? It's really like looking back at your 80 years, your 90 years, your 70 years, your 100 years that you've lived. It's what story do you want to tell? What did you experience? What did you express? Did you live full out? Did you fully express who you were on this planet to be and experience and receive and give, right? It's really more about what did I experience versus what did I achieve? Because again, the reason why people want to achieve more money and achieve that da, 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 is for safety, for peace, for creativity, for joy, for these emotions and feelings, right? The goal in life is really to define what does wholeness mean to you? What, is, what does a complete, full life, fullest expression of your life mean to you that you experience, the story you want to tell, what really mattered the most, and then to make a decision, whether you're 25, 35, 45, 65, 75 today, to like step into this new paradigm of your life and to fully experience, express, and become that authenticity. Knowing all of this now, did the root definition that was seated in all of our minds of achievement come from traditional trauma that was passed on? Or is that where it came, comes from? Because we, we, I feel that too, that achievement. So basically what you and I, and I pretty much believe every single human ultimately want to feel is worthiness. Like, am I, am I enough? Like, am I, am I worthy? Am I talented? Am I good at what I do? You know, am I doing what I should be doing, right? You want to have that feeling of worthiness. You want to be seen. Like you want to know that you matter. We want to feel peace. We don't want to feel like constantly triggered throughout the day and our nervous system is at havoc. We want to feel safe. The reason why we've always gotten along so well over these years is because we feel that we are psychologically safe space for each other. We can be vulnerable and not be judged, which is so much of what you do with your communities and your fertilist platform. We want to feel that we're doing our passion, our create. We want to we want to be creative. Like we have all been blessed with talents and gifts and things that we're really good at that we love to do. We want to we want to have a life where we do those things. Like you said to me, Claudia, like I really want to just do what I love and have time for my family and enjoy my life that I'm blessed to have, right? It's so simple what human beings want. That really is what everybody universally want. But yes, when, when clients come to me and they're like, hey, I want to like launch my business and monetize it. I, want, I have a multi-million dollar company, but I'm burnt out and I need to like simplify. Or, hey, I've had this career and I'm ready to like retire or start my own consultancy and like build my own thought leadership. Hey, like I just got through a divorce. I just had a loss. I'm going through a major life change. At the end of the day, the identity shift, the thing you want to create, everything you want to do, at the end of the day, why do we want to do all those things? To ultimately, we all universally want the feelings and the emotional health of peace, safety, creativity. 
And when we're in that, that's when we're in our power. And so my work now, like people come to me and they say, hey, I want to do, I want to grow this. I want to like, because I've done, obviously, I've created everything I've ever created and, and created multi-millions in value and impacted over a million. And I can help you do that. But all the internal coaching and advisory work is really the same. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really rooted in this four-part framework that I created called whole self-based coaching. And so the thing is, is that even where you are in your life, this next chapter, this all over again, it's, it's because you're getting into alignment. You've been healing from trauma and you're getting into alignment with really what you define as wholeness and completeness. And I have this also this reframe on our life as at 48 and how so many of my clients feel like, oh my God, like time is running out. I've wasted my life. They should themselves, which is I always say is rooted in shame and depression. Like I should have, like they beat themselves up or it's rooted in the future, which is anxiety driven, which is the what ifs. But what if this happens, you know, and it's more fear-based. So you're either like beating yourself up or you're basically in fear. But what I say is like the big reframe is like, what if your best years are ahead of you and you're actually, you're actually starting the second half of your life or the next chapter of your life as the best version of yourself. And really all over again to me, it means like you've had all these chapters and phases of the self and every phase has built onto the other. So you are technically the most, like at 48, I'm definitely the most whole version of me. I'm the most healed version of me. I know there's tons of more healing to do, but it's a whole different reframe that nothing is wasted and you're really just building on. But the choice is like, can you make a choice today to step into a future, to create a new future that is going to be the best future ahead, the best version of your life ahead and, and continue to invest in yourself to get there? hundred percent. And I also, as you're speaking, I think there's no shame in having gone through the should-haves because the should-haves to me, as you're sharing that, are so rooted in bargaining. And you think about the bargaining when you're dealing with, you know, grief or loss or any any sort of hard moment in your life that you can't take back, right? To try to do over. Hence the the premise of the show, would you do it all over again, knowing what you know now? But I think of that we have this sort of cultural obsession with toxic positivity too, right? Like everything's always going to be perfect, but I think we have to go through these valleys of the bargaining and such. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but I think societally we have this, this idea that you're not supposed to have regrets. You're supposed to keep looking forward. And I think that if we don't give ourselves the space to have those moments for those valleys, then it's hard to move forward because we're always second guessing ourselves in the back of our minds, or at least I was in, why do I feel this way? There's so much shame and that's such a heavy, right? So to me, feeling all of the feels and being allowed to being mad. Like I didn't know that I was allowed to feel mad, right? I was brought up to be this certain way so that I would present well so that I would be accepted. And that was, you know, that I would get into this school. I would get this job. And I didn't understand those things until later. And, and the, that was like the great unlearn for me. And listen, there are so many great unlearnings that are still taking place, right? But it's, it's amazing. I feel really good that, that I can embrace the hard moments. And it's, it's kind of amazing that 
we can be free from that, that we can, we have the liberty to feel all the feels like it's okay. So I want to get back to you, Claudia, knowing what you know now, what would you do all over again and why? No, I think it builds on what you were just saying perfectly, which is I would have been much kinder to myself in those moments of struggle, in those mental health seasons where you are beating yourself up or you are in anxiety. And, you know, really building on what you just said, which is that I believe if you take two different people and you take somebody who just never went through trauma or like never went through real hardship, and then you take somebody who did, and you really compare like the character and the knowledge and the wisdom of two people, right? It truly is the obstacles and those seasons of trial, those really, really hard suffering moments where it's so dark internally that really were the life changers. They were the biggest change makers in your life because that's how you developed resilience. That's how you actually became self-aware and learned more about yourself, learned more about what you want to unlearn and let go of. Okay. You know, this was, this like scarcity and survival was, was a security tool that my parents gave me. I'm going to let that go, (laughs) you know, and what do I want to unlearn and what do I want to build? And so it is those the hardest moments of life, I would have actually, I, I wish I could have gone back and, and know those moments be, and, and just regulated myself faster to say, I'm grateful for this. I'm not going to resist this emotion right now. I'm going to fully feel it. And I'm going to give my body what I need. You know, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to rest. I'm going to get into prayer. I'm going to go go to a yoga class. Like, you know, I'm going to call my therapist, call my best friend. I'm going to have self-compassion and love and and really see this as a gift, see this hardship in this moment as a gift. There's no experience or there's no person or no that I would ever redo again, but it's, it's those moments, those million moments where you're triggered and you're really hard on yourself and you're in a vortex and you can't get out of it. And I'm, I'm, it's a skill that I work on today is being a lot more self-compassionate and loving and knowing that this was a gift in the moment. It was a blessing. That's beautiful. Thank you. And you've also shared that finding God allowed you to, was it lead through life? I think that we all, you know, we're brought up into our our lives and like, it's about you. Unless cause and like philanthropy and giving was a part of like, again, the, the, the messaging to you, I didn't have that growing up because we were an immigrant family, Chinese, and it was like survive. <laughs> like, you know, so for me, I think I, my first part of my life was, I say a me over we mindset. And then, and then once I became a person of faith, I realized, wow, I'm a part of this bigger humanity. And I shifted to this me for we, and like what I say, live my life in the world to lead my life for the world that yes, the journey of life and whether you see it at 20, 30, 40, however, whatever age you see it at is like, yes, I need to like get a job and go to school and get a raise and make money and get, 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 gain, 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 gain. But at a certain point, it's so that I can contribute so that I can give, you know, at a certain point, it's about giving your life away, you know? And so it was about, I need to live a life of community and connection. Like nothing matters more than in the world than people, which is what the Bible and what God, you know, what, what faith teaches you, like, like love your brothers and your sisters more than you love yourself. You know, like we're here to actually serve and contribute and leave this earth, this short earthly life in a better place than you found it. And it is like, how do you leave a dent 
in the universe before you go. And so it was very much this massive shift for me, which was again, like we're Chinese and, you know, we're, we're starting from nothing, survive and, you know, keep it all your, you know, like save, hoard, you know, versus, versus like stepping into so you can give and contribute. And one of the things that I shared earlier was that you really opened my eyes that things happen for you, not to you. What was your moment when you realized that something was happening for you rather than to you? You know, it really was that first 10 years when I was uh, doing Shecky's, running Shecky's Girls Night Out with my partner. And it was more and more of a difficult, just a whole season of, you know, identity change. And I think that's what happens too when we're leaving a job or we have a breakup or you just feel like you're struggling, you know, in some part of your work and life and, and mental health and fertility, right? It's like something that you really want that you feel like you've been striving for is not showing up. It was, I was actually at church, you know, and, and I think a pastor or it's in the Bible or like, it, that's when I first heard it, you know, it's, it's everything is happening for you. And that's when I realized, you know, how do we turn our pain into our positive impact? How do we turn our pain into our purpose? How do we turn our pain into our passion? And I think that when you do suffer in something, the biggest regulator to, to calm you and to, to nourish you is to actually help others with that. And a healthy human being has a natural tendency and desire to connect. Like well, human beings are wired to connect and support each other. And like all the stuff right now on diversity and inclusion and all the, the how, how divided we are as a nation and as a world and how the power we give to these words and how, how headlines trigger everybody. Like at the end of the day, we all are connected through humanity. You know, like I think human might be like my favorite word in the world, but yeah. So God really, and God to this day, my relationship with God is like when they say like, Hey, you know, I've always created and seen things before others, others see them, you know, like in terms of the next movements, it's really my, my spiritual work is my, is my superpower. That's the most beautiful segue because that's where I was going next. I have seen this in you that you've talked about turning pain into purpose. You've talked about the diversity and equity and inclusion movement, and all of these other very pivotal cultural moments before they actually took place on a broader scale. So that's what's so fascinating to me is that you've always sensed these topics, these changes, so to speak, and spoken vulnerably as well at times, before they are even more widely spoken about. So you've talked about how it's okay to feel, how turning you know your pain into purpose and creating that new sort of company, becoming an entrepreneur might be your path. You've talked about being an entrepreneur. You've talked about you know all of the different ways of preneurship, so to speak. Everybody's moment can be linked to that change. You've even shared about your your experience with loss. And where I'm going with all of this is that you've always been ahead of the curve. And I think, in my view, it's because you've shared so openly. I mean, you spoke about loss and miscarriage years before public figures were talking about their experiences out loud with fertility-related loss and miscarriage and, and, and. And so... 
what gave you the confidence to be able to not only realize these things, but share and speak them out loud? I think that why God pulled me into this work is I was definitely born to be, again, somebody that connects with people deeply and quickly. Like I, it's, it's almost like clairvoyant or, and so, so I can get to know you internally, holistically as fast as possible so that I can help you pull you, you know, cast vision on you uh, for something really ultimately what you desire, the desired outcome you really want. And so I think that there's like the, the people part of me. And I think plus the faith part, because faith, I've experienced the miscarriage. I've experienced loss. I've experienced so much. I mean, granted, there's so much I have not experienced, but based on the whole and of topics that I've experienced, I think that I'm just maybe a first mover And because of my spiritual faith, I do the work, I do the inner work. And so maybe that's why I'm a first mover on predicting what's coming next. And so when I'm telling you what's coming next, so the last, if we just look at women and culture, right? Like the 2000s was fluff and like beauty and this external perfectionism, right? The last 10 years has been about social movements, uh, gender equity and impact. And it's been about empowerment, you know, but, but it's, but all the success, like all the barriers that women have broken, like whether it's more women in the C-suite, more women entrepreneurs, more women hitting revenue numbers, or it's been built on burnout, right? Because we never took anything off of women's plates. If you're a Gen Xer or you're a millennial, you, you're in a generation where you had the traditional norms of being like, you know, a wife, a mother, a caregiver, all these things, you got to look good and you got to be in shape and you got to like have all these things But at the same time, you've also been messaged to basically change the world, right? And break all these gaps, but nothing's been taken off the plate. And so what's happened is, you know, that internal trauma, that emotional, mental labor, that invisible emotional labor, that's really what's taken a toll. That's why we are in burnout now. We are in burnout and there's a mental health crisis. And I'm just, not just women, but all people, families, communities, There's a crisis today on mental health and burnout. And that's why my next decade and this this whole self, this wholeness-based coaching work that I'm doing with individuals and companies, it's an internal movement. It's helping people master their inner world and vision to what is truly the desired outcome that they want to experience and what is the trauma that needs to get healed. And what is the, again, I think people are like, if there's two streets, most people are, are chasing and striving on a road that is really a ghost. It's never going to end. <laughs> like it's, it's this strive for this identity and this more and this not enough. And I'm trying to get them on a road where they actually have total clarity on what true success, true wholeness means to them. And then help them heal from their patterns and align them with this new paradigm. And so I'm really replacing my next decade of work and and just mark me because I do predict movements. (laughs) I mean, like mental health has become really big, but I feel like the next decade is going to be, it's got to be one that's all about wholeness and that we're redefining success as wholeness, as well-being, but again, really clear on what well-being means. It's not just like more spas and more like green juices and more like, you know, non-GMO 
keto, gluten-free diets, right? Like, I mean, the naturopath world has monetized this like as they should, because we've needed to like disrupt traditional healthcare systems. But you, you can take all the keto and all the, you know, healthiest diet in the world. But if you haven't healed and you haven't done your inner work and your inner paradigm, you're, you're going to continue to chase this never ending ghost and goal, you know, versus getting in the right line uh, and getting in the right lane. And so the next movement is not an external one. It's an internal one of healing. And you can call it mental health, whatever. I call it wholeness work. And I think businesses are going to need to be built on this. And I think individuals and families are going to need to be built on this. And I think through that, I think wholeness is going to actually solve DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion, because wholeness and humanity is everybody, you know, whereas like, you know, a conservative might think the word diversity means anti-racism because I live in Florida now and I, and I can see, you know, how people can react to words. And then yet like something else can trigger a liberal. But if we, if we root all of us in wholeness and internal healing and alignment, then we're actually going to create a better world through that. Wow. You heard it first here. So as far as next steps in the business space as an extension of internal and external wholeness, what does that look like? What does the future of business look like? Is it still going to be corporate? Because I feel like there's this really huge shift. Again, you're ahead of your time in more entrepreneurialism. And I know that when we were, when we had first met, you you were like, I think you could be this really great entrepreneur at Audi. And I I was, as long as I could be, as long as I could do my job and also talk about the things on a motherhood platform and, and, and that could make as much change as I possibly could. But then I realized that I wanted to make more change and felt more comfortable doing it outside of the confines of a corporate box. What are you seeing? What is your, your vision? This is a trend that I and I'm like ready the people that I'm supporting and that I've been supporting. You know, I've been in the, for the last 10 years, I've had over 400 corporate clients, you know, from fortune companies. And I've, I've brought my She Summit. I've brought my How We Rise social change, you know, change maker um, program. I brought my whole life leadership, this wholeness coaching work into corporations. But what was happening was I would hear the pains and the story of like what the Natalie Carpenters at Audi were really going through beneath the surface, but I couldn't get to them, you know, because they're, they're participating in my program through the company. So I'm like, I need to launch a new private coaching advisory and membership, just a private coaching practice where I can give everybody access to my coaching at a more accessible rate, at a more affordable rate. So that is inner circle. And so I have both entrepreneurs and also corporates in there. And so this is the trend that I, that I see and how I'm helping people. If you're an entrepreneur and just take, for example, whether you're starting out or you're somebody who's like super established and is that most people are trying to do too much and doing less is actually uncomfortable. They feel like they need to do this and they need to do this and they need to do this and they need to do this. And so what happens is, you know, they lose sight of what the desired outcome is. And so what I do, and you and I've gone through this process, right? Like what is a desired outcome? that you are experiencing and that like, so that, so that if, if this happened three months from now, Natalie, you know, with your business or this happened one year from now, like what does success really mean to you? Like, what does it feel like? And what does it look like? 
Cause I can be like, Oh, I want to launch a podcast and I want to launch like da, 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 da. And I want to like have this new program. And I have it up. Okay. So, so that's like, how much work is that going to be? And so what happens is that people say like entrepreneurs will say like, well, I want to do this. And I'm like, I want to get bigger and I want to blow up and I want to scale. And I want to be the next Amy Porterfield. And I want to be the next blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to be the Brene Brown. And, and so they, it's just like more and more and more. And then they get lost again. They're all about the chasing of the more. You could net $20 million a year. You can you can gross $20 million a year, but I want to see what your net is also. Like I have entrepreneurs that are multi-seven-figure entrepreneurial clients, and I've been there myself. And yet, like when the bank account hits 50K and they have 10 people on staff, they're in anxiety. It's just like there's there's a lack of alignment in a lot of areas with entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of them have just been built on it's been built on over-efforting a struggle. It's exhausting. They're exhausted, you know, and then not to mention, like they might be in a family where they're doing majority of the domestic labor, you know, like, and their spouse is not, I mean, there's, there's so much to that. So I help them. I get to know their 360. I want to know their numbers. I want to know everything. And I sort of get them into alignment with truly the desired outcome. So that's what I see in it's more simplicity and it's much more well-being based. Like you should no longer conform your health and your family to your work, to your business. It's about defining what your health and well-being looks like for you and conforming your business to that. And get over the ego and get over what culture tells you you need to have. The more you align with that, the more you'll actually scale. The more revenues will just come. And then on the corporate side, I mean, that's a whole other one. But basically... I actually see businesses getting really honest at the top. And whether you're a manager of a team or run a department or whether or not you're at the top, I really see them getting really, really honest with their truth as an organization. And again, it's the same framework. It's like, we can't solve what you can't talk about. So it's really getting them to, again, do the visioning and do the healing. So the vision healing work applies to organizations as well. So there are no real boundaries as an entrepreneur. What is your secret weapon to keeping your head on straight? Ooh, yeah, boundaries. I think, gosh, there's so many tools that I, that I have, but like, give me an example of where you're struggling with boundaries or what, where like your community might be struggling. And then I'll sort of... This isn't even about me. This is my question to you because you are a successful entrepreneur. You've found wholeness. You are developing inner circle to support so many other people. And there's no real sort of um, parameters or boundaries when you're an entrepreneur. You have to set them yourself. And you seem to have these secret weapons that you practice to keep your head on straight and to keep you focused. I'd love to know, what does Claudia Chan do? Yeah, I can give you a few of my tools. So I have this acronym called SMART. And the T really, the last letter is the T, which is time management. And so when I look at you know, what are the non-negotiables in a given week? And, you know, we have, like, I have a six and eight-year-old. And so whether it's camp over the summer, which we're in now, or whether it's the school year, you know, you got to get there by eight or nine o'clock, right? And so from drop-off at eight or 9 a.m. to the pickup, which is at any for like three, let's just say three or four o'clock, that is my time for me, you know, and where I can be present in taking care of myself and my my work, my, my, my vocation and my platform. And also, you know, doing things that I need to do for the family. But I like to think a lot about timelines. So when I look at 48, I'm always looking at myself from the outside in perspective. Like if God was looking at me, there's Claudia Chan or like my dad in heaven is looking at me, right? What does the next 10 years look like for me? And so 
So it's this very constant, I would say, outside in thinking, like distancing myself from myself to look at what is the highest and best use of my time and energy. What deserves my time and my energy? Am I putting it in what matters the most? So I sort of start from this very spiritual place. I I said, that's one tool. So Jackson just turned eight. So that basically means he has 10 years until he goes to college, right? So I think of it as like 10 to 12 years, 10 and 11 years between him and Aria, my daughter, who where I have like, what does the next 10 years look like? And really, I between rest and what I, I'm getting groceries and the things that I, and I actually like to do pickup and drop off. I'm not outsourcing that to a nanny because I want to be present. I want to be there, even though I'm, if I'm a mess or I'm like just picking them up and I'm not in the best mood, I'd still rather do it as much as I can. Cause I just know that this, these hours and this time is so precious. It's like the moments, right. Where I can build that relationship with them. And so I back into that saying, really, I probably only have four or five hours a day, Monday through Friday, where I can actually have a clear mind to do my best work. And then I said to myself, life is too short to not be doing what I love. And then I looked through like, yes, I built She Summit conferences. And yes, I wrote a book. And yes, I did all these things. And I was doing all these programs. But like that required a lot of like corporate calls and business development that required a lot of speaker engagements. And, you know, it's like I started really kept on pairing, simplifying, simplifying. Like, what do I actually want to do with my time? And so really, it's about backing into your that T is for the time, like time and energy management. And then what do you want to do with your time? And how do you want to use it, right? To again, make that, live this meaningful life. And I was like, I really, if you pare down everything, I love one-on-one with people. I love getting to know you quickly and deeply and support. And like, if you have me for an hour, if you have me for three hours, I want to like leave you not the same. Like I want to give you as much as I can give you because why not? <laughs> you know, like, like I want to give you everything I could possibly give you so you can get to a better place. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm impacting a person's life, you know? Like, I mean, that is, what is more meaningful than that? So really inner circle came about because I was like, I want to spend like, I want to have like a therapy office. Like I want to spend time with one-on-one and it doesn't matter if you're like the CEO of blah, 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 or you're like the waitress at the diner, you know, like how many lives. And like, that's like, that's how I want to spend my next 10 years. And now everything is really designed around that. And I also like, what else do I love? I love, you should follow me on Instagram. I love recording, like, you know, I think like preaching and becoming a pastor one day is probably in the, in the timeline, you know? And so, you know, I'm, I'm really preaching like Instagram sort of my church. Yeah. And so it's like, what are the things that you love? So you're really backing into your time. So the SMART stands for, the S is really for ser- serving and like solo engagement. That's the S. So you could call it sales, you could call it business development, but it's like my one-on-one time. If I'm sending you a voice memo, I'm like, so that's the S. The M is really for, you could call it marketing or ministry. It's like spreading. That's like the social media. That's the newsletters. Like that's, you know, and again, less is more. You don't need to do everything. You have to do what works for you. You have to work for your personality type. Like if you're a high creative or you're a very organized person, like different things are going to work for you. So like you love the podcast, right? Like this. And then it's like, what else can you remove and continue to lean in on what you love doing most of and building a business around that, backing into that. 
The A is for art, like when I'm doing my, my, like my passion artwork, which, which could be, you know, writing a message or it could be, you know, it's just my creative time. And then the R is for running operations. That's the paying of the bills. And that is the talking to the lawyer, you know, and, and having to like, you know, hire a new person or man have a management meeting. Like that's the R for running operations. So that's smart working. And because I am so creative and I don't like asanas and like big systems, it's like CBT. I'm like, okay, today is like an S day. Today is like, you know, today's I'm like constantly in the smart way of working. Time management. So time and energy management. We're always like, again, and in a way the T is really like, you almost have to start with the T because you have to back. It's always about backing into what matters the most, you know? And that's, it's like really my coaching work, whether I'm helping you with your business or I'm helping you with burnout, whatever it is, it's really about backing into what matters the most. And most people work in the reverse. Most people are like, oh, I want to create something. And then they just do everything. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's a lot of muscling and there's a lot of burnout. Yes, I can relate. And I'm so grateful for you, for our friendship, and that you get me and that you get others and that you truly are of service and you have helped so many and not just me. And and I know that that is your passion and I can't wait for you to have some sort of a pulpit to, you know, preach from in addition to Instagram, because I think you're amazing at it and it's so authentic and real. And I just love and appreciate you so much. So thank you very much for being here with me today and sharing a little bit of you with listeners because now everyone else can understand why I love you so much. I mean, everybody already knows how incredible you are, but I just am super grateful to know you and to have you on my team. So, you know, so to speak in the, in the uh, friendship world sense. So thank you for everything. I'm so grateful for our friendship. And that's why I called it inner circle because we can't do this alone. There's just, it's like, we're all energetically tied to each other, you know, spiritually. And I think that we're all like lifting and supporting each other. It's like building on each other's lists and holding space for each other. And together, you know, I used to always say together, we will rise together. We're going to get whole together. And that, and we become healed healers. And that's really what we're doing. We're helping to heal others. And by you doing the, like all over again, like what would you do all over again and creating space for such vulnerable, transparent conversations? Like that's what you've always been best at too. I mean, you are so generous with your IVF story. You know, you were like, like so generous with that and creating, you know, space for that. Again, one of the first movers there and you know, you're, this is sort of like that next version of that. And because it's really, again, it's about the deeper trauma. It's about the deeper stuff that we're all going through. And so I'm so grateful for you. Thank you very much, Claudia. And I've got to find out, is your book on Audible? Because it's been a while since I read it, but I I like listening to Audible now. So I'm going to re-listen. For anyone who is listening, please check out Claudia's book, This Is How We Rise. It's amazing. If you want a free coaching message from me, a personalized message from me, you could actually just DM me on Instagram, your email address. It's at Claudia Chan Wagner. Just, you'll find me quickly. (laughs) Just DM me your email address and I will send you something, a free resource. And then also you can just check me out at ClaudiaChan.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Claudia, for being here today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Over Again podcast. I hope that you learned something from today's episode. If you enjoyed this, 
please leave a five-star review about All Over Again on Apple Podcasts. Please also let me know what spoke to you about the episode on our social media channels at All Over Again Podcast. I can't wait to hear from you. 